The Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging presents The Art of Aging, information and tips on how to experience life more abundantly as we age. Our hosts are John King and Reverend Beth Long Higgins, Executive Director of the Ruth Frost Parker Center in Marion, Ohio, an initiative of the United Church Homes. Hi, John. Today, we are going to meet David Rao, who hiked over 2,000 miles of the Appalachian Trail at the age of 64. Yes, David was inspired partly by Jennifer Farr Davis, who still holds the record for the fastest hike on the trail. It is a great story about how taking on a major challenge can change your life and result in unexpected rewards. David, you are now a retired administrator of Dayton Christian Schools, but originally you hoped to do this hike as a fundraiser. What gave you the idea? I've always enjoyed hiking ever since I was just a little boy raised in West Virginia and I did an awful lot of hiking up in the hills and uh, it's really my wife's fault that I really took this trip. She read a book called Becoming Odessa by Jennifer Farr Davis and she was at the time a relatively young right out of college student who hiked the Appalachian Trail. And so she said, Dave, you might enjoy reading this book. And I did a lot more than just enjoy reading this book. I mean, I just fell in love with the trail. This gal and I have nothing in common. I mean, she's a, a young lady and, you know, I'm, I was at the time pretty old guy. Uh, but I just fell in love with the idea of hiking. You don't go in circles, you just go straight for thousands of miles. I just thought that was so fascinating to, to consider that. I was out hiking one day and all of a sudden I thought, you know what, I think I could do that as a fundraiser. Long story short, the school uh, not only gave me permission to go, but they kept me on salary, all my insurance as I hiked. It was, it was fantastic. As you went along, you blogged your story? I blogged uh, through a, my blog site, which is hikeitforward.com, and uh, every day I tried to post something. It was usually just a picture and maybe where I was because the, the kids would pull that up every morning at school so that they could kind of follow along. So I left in April, so I didn't get back until September, but those kids followed me, and I got some real encouraging notes from some of those students. What percentage of people would you say were your age or older? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. On the Appalachian Trail, you basically have two age groups. You have those folks who are maybe right out of college, they don't have a job yet, they don't have any commitments, and so now is the time to do that. And then on the other hand, you have the retired folks who now have some time and have still have some good life in them. And I found the, I call them the young bucks, but I, those young bucks were so receptive to me as an old guy. And, you know, we'd go out and we'd have dinner together and hike on the trail, and they were just really receptive to us older folk. What percentage of people give up in the early stages? There's a place called Neil Gap, and the estimate's about 20% of the people. It's 31 miles from the beginning to Neil Gap. So in 31 miles, 20% of the people said, no, I, I'm done. You know, I, I don't look down at them at all. But you'll know in 31 miles whether this is something you want to do for five months or not. I thought it was interesting that trail hikers almost universally have a name they choose for themselves. Tell me about your name and some of your favorite names of other hikers. Yeah, that's a tradition on the trail that you have a trail name. So most of the people, I could not tell you what their real names were. I mean, my trail name was Rowdy. My last name's Rao, first name's D, so it's Rowdy. You know, people say, you don't seem very rowdy. 
And I, I say, that's very true. I'm not a very rowdy person. My two young bucks that I met early that was such an encouragement to me, one of them was Archangel, and his name was Gabriel Michael. What other kind of name can you come up with? And the other one was Motown, and he just enjoyed singing on the trail, and Motown was some of his favorite songs, so he got his name that way. You had a lot of support along the way. Tell me about Youth with a Mission. Yeah, that was kind of their whole purpose for hiking, was to support other thru-hikers. Bamboo, because he hiked with bamboo poles, he didn't have regular trekking poles. And the other guy was named Ungerwear. And then there was another guy by the name of Mountain Light. And Mountain Light hiked a little bit, but basically his thing was driving the support van. So he would go from uh, parking lot to parking lot and from road to road as the, as the trail went up by and just was there to help and support people. He usually had some nice cold iced tea, maybe a power bar or something to give. It wasn't huge, but it was just what you really needed. You hiked sometimes with companions. I assume mostly people that you met on the trail and just happened to be going in the same direction. So it really wasn't like hiking with someone as much as it was just kind of going what they call a bubble. And, and the bubble would kind of go up the trail together and we would kind of keep track of one another and see how we were doing and those kind of things, but it wasn't really a, a partnership, so to speak. You actually had a point in Pennsylvania where you almost had to quit. Tell me about that. Is that the only time you were on the brink of quitting? Yes, at least physically. Uh, and I would say mentally too. Just about every day when I woke up, I, you know, I could obviously say, I am hiking the Appalachian Trail. How great is this? But I did fall occasionally, and this one fall, I'd actually taken my backpack off and was just going to go down to a stream to fill up my water. Caught my foot on a rock, and I stove my shin really bad, smashed my face up a little bit, but my shin was the thing that really started to bother me. So I continued to hike for three or four days on it, and it just wasn't getting any better. It started to turn red. I thought, I just need to get off and see if I can't get this checked out a little bit. So I stopped at a place called uh, Port Clinton, Pennsylvania, and a trail angel gave me a ride, probably half an hour away to the best urgent care. Got that looked at, found out I had cellulitis. So he gave me some antibiotics to take, and I said, can I hike? And he said, well, I can't tell you yes or no. That's gonna have to be up to you whether you can do that or not. So I went back to this nice little room that I had above a bar <laughs> where I was staying, and it just wasn't getting any better. I had a real hard time just walking down to the bathroom and back. So I started taking some Tylenol and the pain really went away significantly. So I said, I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna go for a day. I'm gonna see if, if I can climb up out of this mountain. If I can't, I'm gonna climb back down the mountain, get a rental car and go home. So I did, I started climbing up and it, it was really pretty tough first day, but not unbearable. So I went the second day and, and then I said, yeah, I can, I can do this. Did you ever get lost? I wasn't lost in the fact that I'm out in the middle of the woods and I have no idea where I am. I just mean I was lost and I was on a trail and I wasn't sure whether this was the Appalachian Trail or not. And the Appalachian Trail is blazed with white blazes. They say if you walk a quarter mile and you haven't seen a white blaze, you're probably not on the Appalachian Trail. So I started looking and looking and I went for about 20 minutes, which for me is about a mile, I didn't see any blazes. So I turned around and I hiked and I hiked and I hiked and I, I found out where I got off the trail and had just blown about an hour worth of hiking just by being off. So that's really the lostness that I experienced. 
What about the animals? What animals were you afraid of? The only thing I didn't want to see was a rattlesnake. And every through hiker has a rattlesnake story. But my rattlesnake story is I never saw one. And I just thought God is so faithful in sparing me <laughs> from that anxiety. Uh, but I got to see 12 bear and uh, never had a bear encounter. That probably would have freaked me out pretty well. Most of the bear I saw were running away from me. I got to see one though that just was just kind of meandering down on the trail. And so I stood and just kind of watched it walk away. Just magnificent. I enjoyed that a lot. And I really wanted to see a male moose, you know, with the big, huge antlers coming up out of the pond, you know, with foliage kind of dripping out of his mouth and all that. Didn't get to see that one, but I get to get to see four moose. But my last two moose were really pretty cool. And it was a mama moose and an adolescent moose, and they were crossing across the stream. So we were on one side of the stream, and they walked across the stream, and then they decided they'd eat some leaves off the trees on the other side. So they were like doing a little photo shoot for us. So that was great. Some black snakes. I did get to see black snakes, but I was totally fine with black snakes. They're our friend. They eat mice on the trail. Tell me about some of the challenges with the weather. You know, my weather, looking at this year, I am so glad I did not try to hike the Appalachian Trail this year because it has been cold and it has been wet, wet, wet. And in my year, 2014, I was blessed with great weather. I just couldn't believe how sunny it was. Now, I hike through rain. You, they say, n n no rain, no Maine, no pain. You know, you, you got to go through some rain to get to Maine. There were a couple of times where I got soaking wet and then I started getting cold and you know, the threat of hypothermia presents itself. So I had to get off the path a little while, find a shelter, try to get warmed up, try to get a new shirt on if I could or something like that uh, in order to continue. I had some cold weather when I ended because we ended in September up in Maine and by then the, the weather's changing so I had to buy myself a pair of gloves. My sleeping bag kept me pretty toasty but it was, it was cold at night. A lot of times you slept in a tent yeah, I think maybe, uh, I think it was 65% of the time, something like that, I slept in my tent. I preferred that because I could kind of get away from things. But I slept in shelters. Those are that three-wall ceiling, open fourth wall, wood floor, sleeping situation. You just put your sleeping bags and your sleeping pad on the floor and sleep in the shelters. I didn't like shelters for a couple of reasons. One reason is they're full of other thru-hikers, and we all stink. You know, you have this chorus of snores uh, going on all night long. And there are more mice in the shelters than there are people in the shelters. So you have this dynamic of knowing that you have these little furry things running all over the place, probably over your face and everything else over the night. It wasn't bothered by them other than just mentally knowing that they were there. But it makes you want to hike it, doesn't it? <laughs> That's a little hard to imagine. Many times you felt that you were getting help from God. I think I ended every day with just a little statement in my journal, God is faithful. I mean, I saw it over and over and over again, whether it was trail blessings that people left along the trail to eat, whether it was just meeting somebody and having some encouraging words from them, whether it was uh, just providing the right path to go and helping me not get lost in those kind of situations and finding myself. He was just faithful over and over and over again. I purposely didn't take a book to listen to, didn't take any music to listen to. I just wanted to get away and be in creation 
And it wasn't really a spiritual pilgrimage for me, but it was just, God, I want you to teach me whatever you have for me. I want to enjoy your creation. I don't want to be distracted by the other kind of things. And there were those experiences on top of some of those mountains that almost bring tears to my eyes now, just looking down at what God had made. I also discovered what an emotional person I am. I almost prided myself in being in control. You know, I, I didn't cry hardly at all. I didn't get angry. I was just kind of in control of myself. And uh, I also sang a lot uh, while I was out there just praising God. Uh, but there was this one little song that uh, we used to sing. I hope I can do this without, praying, without crying. We used to sing to our kids uh, before we would put them to bed. And it was called, Look All the World Over. And it was like, look all the world over. There's no one like Ben. There's no one like Ben. There's no one like Ben. So I thought, I'm just going to sing that before I pray for Ben. And I just started to weep. Look all the world over. There's no one like, and I just started crying. And there were great tears, memories of my son and things that we had done before and where he is in life now. And he's a dad now and has kids himself. It was just an amazing experience just to spend time with God and to pray and to, to sense his, his presence. Tell me about some of the peaks you climbed. My first real mountain was Albert Mountain in Georgia. Albert Mountain is 100 miles into the trail, and it's really the first climb that you come to, and you literally you have to kind of go hand over fist up to this fire tower that sits on top of Albert Mountain. And, and it, when I got to that top of that mountain, I thought, yes, I am now a mountain climber. I'm not a through hiker. And it was just kind of the introduction of many, many of those kinds of climbs up. Not, you, know, you didn't have to use ropes or rappel down or anything like that, but it was still really challenging to get up some of those hills. Mount Washington is just a fantastic peak in the White Mountains. It has the most severe weather ever recorded in the United States. I think it's like 250 miles an hour winds. I was a little nervous about that. Some days they won't even let you go up, you know, if it's a really rainy day or a, a windy day. I had a nice, at least when we started up, nice sunny day, not a cloud in the sky kind of a day. I got to the top and the clouds came in. It did get a little windy up there, but nothing compared with what's possible there. But beautiful. I love the White Mountains. It was probably the most difficult part of the trail. Uh, it was 90% of it was above tree line. So, you know, you were up there, you could see 360 all the time. It was absolutely magnificent. Uh, Mount Lafayette was fantastic. And I have a picture of looking at that and you can just see from where you are all the way to the next mountain and the little trail kind of snakes like this going up through kind of the spine of the White Mountains. Uh, just, just fantastic. Tell me about the end of the hike when you climbed up Mount Kirtan. Who were you with and what was it like? Now, when I got to New Hampshire, I had a little bit of a fear, honestly, going through New Hampshire and Maine by myself. Uh, because you, if you fall there, you could never be found again kind of thing. It's, it's really pretty treacherous. So I was looking for a friend to buddy up with to go up through New Hampshire and Maine together. So I was staying again at a hostel, and this older guy came in, and I said, hey, what's your name? He said, my name is Race Walker. And so I said, would you be interested at all in, in you know, just kind of having a, a buddy up through these next two states? He agreed. And so we did. We went all the way from the border of New Hampshire all the way up to, to Maine. 
uh, summited Katahdin together. So when we got there, we walked in and here was the white van, the YWAM white van that I had come to, to love. And all three of those guys were there. And I said, what are you guys doing here? Because you were like three or four days ahead of me. I knew I probably would never see you guys again. So we waited for you. And so they purposely just stayed there, probably several other people too, but stayed there so, and climbed Mount Katahdin with me. When we climbed Katahdin, I said, you know what, Race Walker, you led the way uh, for the last two states. You need to lead the way to uh, the, the big brown sign on top of Mount Katahdin. So he, he went off, and I just let him go off, and I just really lagged behind again so I could just experience it and breathe it all in for myself. So eventually you can see the, the little brown sign in the distance, and I started to think to myself, the journey is the reward. It's not the brown sign, it's the journey that was really the reward. I began to reflect on the journey. So I sang Amazing Grace and just enjoyed that last half a mile. And all of a sudden, it was one of the YWAM guys who was up there and said, hey, there's Rowdy. And everybody stopped. And everybody turned and looked and they all clapped for me. He said, come on over, Rowdy, come on over, Rowdy. So, you know, I'm the last one really to kind of show up. And they, they allow me to get uh, between them up on top of the sign. So I have this picture and it almost looks like Rowdy and his entourage. And then I celebrated with everybody else when I got up there and I stood on top of the sign and hooped and hollered and took pictures after pictures. But, but it was a great emotional, spiritual experience for me too of just reflecting on who God was and, and how he allowed the 64-year-old guy to make it almost 2,200 miles. How would you say the trip impacted you? I found myself being different really in two kind of ways. One was the emotions. You could tell I'm emotional even today talking about something that happened seven years ago. So, you know, I, I think I'm a much more emotional person and I allow those emotions to come out and not necessarily feel like I, I have to be inhibited. And the second thing, I left as a hermit and a true introvert and I thought, I don't care if I meet anybody on the trail. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm just going to hike, I'm gonna tent, I'm gonna get up the next day, I'm gonna hike, I'm gonna tent by myself, and I don't care if I meet anybody. And I found out pretty quickly, I need community, and I need people. I just clicked with these people, and we're all out there, and we all stink, and we all have the same goal to get there, and so I made just so many really good friends. Tell me about how you were greeted when you went back to the school. It was just a dream. They wanted me to, to come down the sidewalk, and the sidewalk then leads to the driveway to the school, and they had all the kids lined up on this sidewalk. And I had my hiking gear on, my poles and my backpack and all of that, so I came walking down. It was like being a hero. They were all cheering for me. I mean, it was a, it was a pretty fantastic experience. And I just said, anything is possible. Anything is possible in your life. Uh, if you are just dedicated to it and you have a dream and you don't give up, you can do anything. It was just a great return. You should really try it. There have been blind people who have hiked the Appalachian Trail. There have been people in wheelchairs who have hiked the Appalachian Trails. And uh, you know, obviously they need assistance and you know, people are pulling and pushing and all those kind of things. But there are people in all walks of life who have traveled, at least some, of the Appalachian Trail. So in summary, how many miles, how many days? Appalachian Trail by the numbers. Uh, it did take me 152 days, which is basically five months, 2,186 miles. You have to burn 6,000 calories a day, and that's like 21 Big Macs. 
And so I lost weight. I wouldn't recommend it as a weight loss program, but you certainly do lose weight. I averaged a little over 14 miles a day, but I had several, what they call zero days, which means you don't hike at all. And uh, basically, you just sleep and eat during those days to kind of refuel. So on the days that I really hiked, I was at about 17 miles a day, which I was very pleased with. You can read David's blog at hikeitforward.com or purchase his book, Hike It Forward, on Amazon. This podcast was funded in part by the Dayton Foundation, Del Mar Encore Fellows Initiative, and the Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging, a program of United Church Homes. Audio production and interviews were conducted by Del Mar Fellow Eric Johnson.